Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Love Talk Radio. I'm Ellie the Mammoth, and my friend said the sloth knows what being a great parent is all about. I love kids. It starts with believing you can do it. I'm responsible, loving, nurturing. You've got to set a good example. Hey, no biting. Uh-uh. And give a whole lot of love. I love you so much. And you'll get a whole lot back, too. <laughs> the rest? Well, that's up to you. Remember, you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keyes. I'm your host, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter.com slash Joy Keys, and you can become a fan on Facebook. Just look up Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. And now I am on Instagram. Yes, check me out there. That's Saturdays with Joy Keys on Instagram. I want to thank you guys for your support. Doing the show for the last six years has been an amazing, amazing journey. And I just want to say thank you to all the listeners uh, for supporting the show. I also want to mention to you, if you've missed the show, you can check out the archive here on Blog Talk Radio, or you can go to iTunes and download the show from iTunes. Just do a search under Joy Keys, and all the shows will pop up for you if you want to listen to an archive show. Um, Today, I am speaking to a multifaceted, I will just say artist, if you will, all the way in uh, Uganda. Uh, He is a writer. He's a filmmaker. He's an activist. Um, He's a nerd. I think he's a bit of a nerd, too. Um, And his name is, and that's okay because I'm a nerd. Um, I'm not saying it in a bad way. Uh, his name is Dilman Dilla. Uh, good morning, good evening, Dilman, to you. Hey, good morning. Hey, good evening, actually. It's already coming tonight here. Yes, it's nighttime there. So I should mm. say, um, yeah. Habari, how do you say, Habari Yagioni? Yes, Habari uh, Yagioni, <laughs> Habari Zawikiku. Okay. <laughs> Well, um, thank you so much again for being willing to do the interview today. Um, Your book, A Killing in the Sun, is a wonderful collection of ideas and adventures and, you know, it gives so many different ideas that you have inside of your head. I can tell they're just fighting to get out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. One book is not enough, so we're waiting for the next book to come soon. <laughs> oh, yeah, because um, <clears throat> I think books come from life experiences, especially uh, in regard to me. So um, most of the stories here are from, from my what I experience in life psychologically or emotionally, not uh, physically or not uh, realistically. But it's more like an emotional autobiography, if I can say it like that. So mm-hmm. um, it's one book really is not enough to to tell everything that somebody has gone through in their life. You need 
hundreds of weeks before you can even get an idea of what kind of life uh, somebody has gone through. Yeah. Yes. Well, a lot of the stories do reflect some things that have, I believe, gone on in Uganda uh, in terms of the colonialism, in terms of environmental issues, uh, in terms of, you know, disease and how the pesticides, you know, were used to deal with the disease. In terms of religion, you use religion in your stories as well and how people take the religion to the extreme um, and brainwash, I guess, yeah. people, you know, to believe certain things. Yes. So um, let's talk about... Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, 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 ask the question. Okay. <laughs> well, let's start in the beginning. You know, your first story, The Leafy Man. I love the title, The Leafy Man. It, mm-hmm. it just enticed me, like, what? What is going on here? Um <laughs> But this deals with a lot of environmental issues. We also have them here in America with a a company called Monsanto Mm. who has uh, engineered seeds. And now uh, many Mm -hmm. farmers can't even use their own seeds or they are um, put, they can be arrested if they use the Monsanto seeds and all kinds of stuff. So uh, in your story, you have the dealing with the bugs. Um, talk mm-hmm. to the audience a little bit about the leafy man and what happens in there. I, I, um, Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about the leafy man, oh, yeah. the story. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, the leafy man is about a traditional healer who a herbalist, basically, um, who is trying to save this village from... Uh, uh, genetically modified, modified uh, mosquitoes. And these mosquitoes are brought in by a company that is seeking to uh, make a profit out of the malaria uh, epidemic that uh, has been going on. That, that's, I mean, uh, common in all over Africa. Mm. So um, it's kind of like an action story, basically. Um, just one guy fighting monsters, like a monster kind of story. So at the bottom line, that is what it is. But I think um, emotionally, I came up with this story after I had had a bout uh, of malaria. Mm-hmm. So at the time in my life, when I was, I was having malaria like almost every month. Oh, wow. I couldn't figure out why. Yeah, yeah I was falling sick so regularly. And then um, I kept spending a lot of money on on medication until one time the doctor told me that, no, I'm not going to treat you this time. Just go and rest. Mm. I drink oranges. He gave me like a diet to eat. And they checked my blood and they were were the malaria parasites. I said, you know, you're getting um, addicted to the medicine or something like that. The medicine is not working. Because he kept... Uh, he kept putting me on a higher, on a stronger drug. From, yeah. I think that time there was the something called quinine, uh, then there was the quartam uh, was there. But uh, all these different drugs, and then I think that I was supposed to be the, uh, the strongest of all. 
and then the, 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 the parasites are not uh, responding to a teenager in my body. Okay. So he told me, okay, we are not going. We are going to stop treating you. But then he told me to uh, go on preventive measures, which I was doing. But he, he told me of other things, you know, which we keep ignoring, like oranges and how oranges or citrus. Some citrus plants are mosquitoes don't like certain citrus plants. Mm-hmm. Um, so. The other thing that he told me to do, which are basically um, natural, or, or they, are, they are in nature. And then I began wondering, you know, malaria is only, uh, it's become a problem of recent, but for hundreds of years, or for thousands of years, uh, there have been mosquitoes in Africa, and people have not had, it was not at an epidemic level, so why is it an epidemic right now? Yeah. You know, that's why I began ask questioning yeah, all these medical um so the modern medicine and how it has, you know, impacted our lifestyle, how it has detached us from uh from from nature and then we become susceptible to diseases that we could have fought naturally or using, you know, organic methods. Um I think Well that's, that's similar um, here too. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, that's similar here yeah, too. Yeah. We have people using, uh, you know, antiseptic uh, hand uh, lotions, antiseptic uh, sprays. Oh, yeah. Every time you get off the bus, you know, squirt your hand with the anti anti uh, antimicrobial, you know, things. And then mm-hmm. what happens is you actually make the germs stronger, and then you, you, you yeah, can't fight yeah. them because you're using all these chemicals, yeah. you know. So um, yeah. many of your stories deal with that issue of the old medicine, if you will, toward, compared to the mm. the new medicine and um, mm-hmm. how it can heal people. Um, and, yes, many people did not have these epidemics. Why are they all of a sudden starting, you know, now yeah. when we supposedly have all these great medicines? Uh, some of those medicines are wonderful. Let's not. Let's not, I don't think we should... Say all new yeah, medicine is bad. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, the thing is, medicine is good. Like I mean, it's technologically advanced and it's supposed to fight. But the problem is that um, when our bodies become reliant on the chemicals, then I think they fail to generate. Um, I, I, I don't know the scientific one, but maybe antibodies or mm-hmm. yeah, antibodies adapt to you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something something of the sort. Um, like, I've heard that some diseases like asthma are really because we are too clean or because we are too, you know, detached from, from nature. Right. We are not supposed to be totally separated from, from that or from soil or from, from earth, you know. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are supposed to kind of cohabit with to the world or to the, to the environment, but the, the, the more we use these medicines, the more we detach ourselves from the environment. And I yeah. think that is the, the, I think the dilemma of the modern world, whereby we have all these sciences that are supposedly making our lives better, but then they are instead alienating us from um, the, the microorganisms that and not all bad. Some mm-hmm. of them are really good, and some of them are, are there to help 
powerless, you know. Yeah, but yeah. That's what science and technology is really doing to us. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Itanda Bridge. Now, that's an interesting story because that's uh, you bring in some 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 aliens who, uh, in a sense, yeah, maybe yeah. refugees, if you will, almost like they are refugees um, trying to find a new mm-hmm. place to live. Um, and yeah. um, talk to the audience a little bit about that. The, how, and that brings up the issue of community. What is community and how important mm-hmm. community is and working together, in a sense, for the greater good to save each other? You understand? Yeah, I, I kind of understand uh, the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually having a lot of fun with that story. I don't remember when or why I started writing it, but somehow I just thought I would, you know, Mm-hmm. Aliens and what, and then the other story is that you just want to have a lot of fun with. But then, um, when you see most alien stories, or most they are, they come and they are powerful, and then they they want to destroy the earth, and then you fight back, and then you, you know, mm-hmm. you see most Hollywood aliens. That's how they they are depicted, as you know, the superior technology. And all that, but then I'm like, okay, <clears throat> these aliens might actually be, yeah, yeah, they are, they are vulnerable and they are really helpless. And it's because they are, I, I gave them a human nature whereby they destroy their own planet with their own uh, activities without the the activities like the, the same thing we are doing now with industrialization and and all these. Uh, Industries uh, and our activities generating carbon and creating, you know. The, right, the, the same way we're doing to our. Change, yeah. Right, the same way we're doing yeah. our it's environment. They, they have destroyed yeah. their environment, so they need a new place so to live. Their, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they come to us, but then on us, they have to. They are not. They are vulnerable, you know. Mm-hmm. And they can't fight us. We are actually stronger than they are. And we are uh, more. Um, oh, oh, more we are superior to them in court. Yeah. 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 Well, the story is about a, a diver who is called uh, in an accident scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to spoil the story for those who haven't read it. But then um, it's about this guy and how he. Interact with these aliens and eventually meet them. But at the end of the day, it's also the realization that, okay, this is our world and we have to protect it from ourselves or from our own activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to. We're thinking that we need to protect ourselves against the aliens, but we really need to protect ourselves against. Us, you know, and our yeah. destruction of the environment and the water. Um, yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I I can understand that. Um, now in the in the um, how, you say it took you almost like ten years. I read somewhere to write these different stories. Is that true? Mm. Oh yes, because um, the book of the conscious effort. Uh, some right. of the stories I wrote in two thousand two. Mm-hmm. And then 
some I wrote as early as 2013, 2013, okay. 2014. Yeah, so that's about 10 years in total. Uh, the difference for this. But it wasn't really a conscious effort. It's just that at the end of all this time, I discovered I have a whole pile of short stories that could make an anthology. Mm. So I'm not an anthology, but a collection. So when the South African publisher sent out a call for books, I sent in, she wanted um, a novel. I sent in uh, short stories and said, and I told her, you know, there are stories and they can make a, a nice collection. Yeah. Uh, she read a few of them and then she was interested in it. So um, that's how it, it uh, basically took me 10 years. But um, it's also because, you know, um, the environment in Uganda with regards to publishing is not very uh, friendly or in much of Africa. It's only mm-hmm. different with the internet, um, with, with internet blossoming and uh, electronic media, you know, becoming so cheap and so easily uh, available. Right. So publishing has taken on, yeah, a new, um, a new part of, and it's really booming because of this. But uh, the traditional publishers here would not want to touch unknown archives, and then they wouldn't even want to touch books that cannot go into the, the school syllabus, uh, okay. books that don't talk about the realities of um they, they don't talk about realities in, in, a, in a sense that what they think are realities. They, they don't think that science fiction... Like you think they're propaganda? Yeah. I, I mean, you're basically saying that the books that are in the schools are propaganda and not, not really what's happening outside. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Something like that. It's more like propaganda. So even Western publishers, when they're thinking of African writers, they think in terms of certain topics that, or a certain genre that the writer is supposed to, to produce, but not science fiction, not fantasy, not horror, which are really what I like to, to write. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I kept, but uh, it's because I really wanted to be a writer that I kept writing all these stories, and then even if they were not going anywhere, I would write and file them, I would write and file them, and then hoping that one day they will find a home. Yes. So eventually after 10 years, yeah, a few of them found a home, but there is a whole other pile that is still sitting there waiting. Well, I'm glad that they found a home together. Uh, let's talk about propaganda. <laughs> one of the stories in the book, uh, Four Lights, which I thought was such a beautiful story. I mean, I actually almost cried because, you know, <laughs> The four lights with the father and the daughter. Ah, the lights on water. The lights on yes. Water. Uh, because yes, that's such true. a powerful, it has so many things in there. But but one of the things um, is talking about propaganda. And this mm. main character is trying to enlighten his daughter about mm-hmm. what's going on. You know, she's been living in the dark, mm-hmm. if you will, in many ways. She's been living in the dark also about her skin. You know, you bring up the issue of uh, skin coloring, which is a big issue uh, in Africa, mm-hmm. uh, either people bleaching their skin 
or people afraid of, um, uh, I can't think of the name, but the people who can't get melanin, I I can't think of the name right now. Oh, my God. Albinos. Albinos, yes, yes. Like Salif Keita, he's an albino, right. So you, you bring up so many things, but one of the things is propaganda. In Uganda, I mean, people were, in many places in Africa, the government has such a tight control. Uh, to, to tell the truth, you could really, you know, risk your life. Mm-hmm. Are you ever afraid in writing these stories? Um, not really. Mm-hmm. Because the, I don't think I'll be afraid because um, none of the stories actually right, talk about the the government in in bold uh, letters. Mm-hmm. There is one story only, a killing in the sun. It yes. was inspired by um, activities that, or it was inspired by an incident, uh, an army incident where two soldiers were executed for killing a priest, I think an Italian priest. And okay. then there were questions surrounding, yeah, there were questions surrounding the execution and saying this, this looks like a cover-up or something like that. But then the writers who've had problems with the government are those who've gone out to uh, point out like the president or the somebody in power and they actually spell out, you know, mm-hmm. uh, something against the people in power. But um, my problems are more of social issues that they don't really um, be political in nature. Mm-hmm. There are more um, special, special issues that, you know, everybody faces at some point in their life. The, even that one, the killing in the sun, is really about how uh, Ugandans have had to struggle with so angry soldiers. Like, mm-hmm. I grew up um, with, with some kind of trauma, you know, because you see a soldier and then you think, is he going to shoot me? Is he going to do something to me? Right. And then there's that trauma that you grow up with. Though, of course, right now in Uganda, we don't have that kind of situation. The soldiers are pretty much disciplined. But then in my childhood, until I think about 1990, I was 12 years, that's when the situation started to normalize. But before that, like it was really <clears throat> a common occurrence for people to disappear from their homes. Mm-hmm. I remember um, in, I think, 86, I might have been 10 years or something about. But I, I slept throughout the whole incident. But I woke up in the morning and my mom was missing. Mm. She was there in the bed. Yeah. And then they told me, so they had came in the night, but they say I slept through it all. I didn't even hear anything. And they, they said the soldiers made a lot of noise. They were breaking open a lot of things. And so for one month, my mother was in the army barracks and he didn't know, you know, what was going to happen to her or it will ever see her again. Right. We grew up with all these kinds of trauma and then... You almost have, like, post-traumatic stress. You have post-traumatic stress, you know. I mean, I I remember when I went uh, overseas and people dealing with communism, the Polish people, I was in Poland for several weeks and they would tell me stories about even in the present, they were afraid every time they had to, like, encounter police 
or like going to the airport yeah. and showing all their documents. Mm-hmm. And even though it was okay, you know, everything had changed, but they had the memory of yeah. having been harassed by the police and searched and maybe people taken by the police and never coming back, you know. So Yeah, yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, it is more like that, post traumatic stress. And I think when I write I try to make sense of all these events because it's some kind of therapy for me. Yeah. So um a friend of mine told me that a lot of people are in the in their who are in their forties and drunkards because of what happened and I mean they couldn't they didn't know how to handle or how to handle um, uh, the kind of life they, they, have, they went through in their childhood. But anyway, um, most of the stories that I write are on the social level, mm-hmm. not really political. Or political. Against politics. Yeah, well, so I want to talk to you. Yeah, gentlemen, uh, we're kind of running out of time a little, but I want to talk to you about something really yeah. funny. You wrote on your website, uh, let me just tell the audience, you have a website, DillmanDilla.com. You're also on Twitter, DillmanDilla. Uh, You talk about women, the seven reasons why women fear commitment. I was laughing my head off when I read this. This has nothing to do with the book, but it was just so hilarious that you wrote seven reasons why women fear commitment. And I'm going to tell you, some of them, I did agree with you, but many, I was like, no way. You know, I mean, it could be different, like women in America than women in Nepal or women in Africa. I don't know. But uh, one of them was that you said men, you, women fear men who cook better than they do. <laughs> what is this? What is this? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think I was just having fun, basically. <laughs> Sometimes I, um, and then, um, but also it's also playing with uh, gender roles. Yes. Because, yeah, um, it's always expected, especially here, that a woman will cook for a man. Yep. Mhm. Mhm. So, um, men who cook for for their wives are seen as as weak or, um. I don't know, the way they are looked at, which is not... <laughs> um, I think I'm more having fun than anything. Being serious, yeah. Well, yeah. also you say that... Um, um, go ahead, sorry. No, no? No, I was going to say you talk about women fear the night will transform into a pig, and I thought that was also hilarious. But I will say... Women may fear that the night will turn into like an evil monster. Like you know, it's too good to be true. That I will say. You know, I don't know if you can agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that not not only women, even men fear that. You know, you you know the person you think is an angel, and then two three years down the road, you know they sort of. Around, I don't know what happened in, in relationships, but mm-hmm. then they become nasty to each other. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think it's a two-way thing. Even men will fear that, and um, in all relationships, 
the result is that here, but then um, I don't know if your partner convincing you or assuring you that or giving you signs that you are going to stay good, then it would encourage you like to stick to the relationship. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, I was. It was just funny. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Say that again. I didn't know you'd pick on that article. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you wrote A Killing in the Sun. I'm going to be giving away some copies of your book today. Um, with people follow me at Joy Keys on Twitter uh, or become a fan on Facebook. Um, I'll be giving away some, some free copies of your book, okay? Wow. That's incredible. And I would just want to say, you know, again, um, it's a... It's an awesome story. I suggest everybody pick up a book, even if they can't, you know, win a copy of the book, and um, check out Bill Mandela. And also check out, he has some films out. He's a filmmaker. You can go to his website, BillMandela.com, and uh, check out all his different talents, if you will. Um, Wow. (laughs) So, Asante, for uh, coming on today, thank you so much. Okay, well, you have a wonderful... It's been a pleasure talking to you. Yes, it's been a pleasure. And um, I would say, I can't say this, I looked up this phrase to say good luck, but I think it's Kila La Kiere. I don't know, I'm not saying it right. (laughs) But but good luck. I'm saying good luck to you. In Swahili, I am not even sure what the phrase is in Swahili. That's okay. But have a nice evening, okay? All right, bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I just got off the phone with author Dil Mandela. Uh, He's the author of A Killing in the Sun, a wonderful collection of short stories ranging from serial killers, aliens, Uh, government control, religious control, uh, love stories between a man and a woman, um, love stories between a father and a daughter in in terms of the love a father has for a daughter and and trying to help her. So it's a wonderful collection of books that you definitely want to check out, A Killing in the Sun. You can check out his website, DillMandela.com. Also, you can check check him out on Twitter, uh, at DillMandela. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, My name is Joy Keys, and you can check me out at Joy Keys on Twitter. Become a fan on Facebook, or check me out on Instagram. I'm Saturdays with Joy Keys on Instagram. Uh, You guys have a wonderful Saturday and a a great week. Um, Check me out. I would like to know maybe what you're doing for MLK Day. Um, Are you going to be helping out? Uh, It's always wonderful to try to help others out. All right, talk to you later. Bye-bye. James had trouble seeing. He thought he was tired. His leg went numb. He lost his balance and couldn't talk. He couldn't call for help. James had a stroke. If anyone had recognized the signs and called 911, his life might be different. Remember these warning signs. Sudden numbness or weakness in the face, arm, or leg. Trouble seeing. Sudden confusion or inability to speak. If you suspect a stroke, call 911 immediately because time lost is brain lost. Visit strokeassociation.org.